Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, one and all. It's Richard and... Linda. And Richard is barely here. He... <laughs> Wait a minute. That didn't sound so good. Well, you really are barely here. He just did a crazy trip to Germany in three days. Germany and back. Well, we had a we had a wonderful group over there that wanted to have a retreat and talk about family relationships and we said, Well, we can't both come because we're about to get started on a family reunion and they begged and pleaded, didn't they, Linda? And finally Linda said, Well, why don't I just send Richard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not finally. I just said, no way, I am not going. There's too much going on. Kids are coming in. It's such a good thing I stayed because we had a flood. We had uh, mushrooms growing out of the carpet in one of our rooms that we had opened all winter. Oh, she's no talking about Bear it. Lake, moving back in at Bear Lake. The after... fridge is leaking. I mean, the horses have no hay. Honestly, I don't know what we would have done if I'd gone with you. Actually, I thought I had a pretty tough trip to get all the way over there and back in three days, but you probably would have had a lot easier time if you'd been with me. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It's just inevitable. You know, Murphy's Law, everything goes wrong. But when you say I'm just barely here, what what do you mean? I'm so jet-lagged that I don't make sense? Yeah, you you are so jet-lagged. Uh, he did just take a little nap, just for you listeners, but um, he has been pretty out of it the last day. <laughs> well, but let me tell you, I do I do love this kind of events because, you know, when you get, we speak, as, as all you listeners know, we speak a lot to parents, but the best times, I think, are where they're on kind of a retreat. They're sort of away from their normal cares and worries and their just there to focus on their families and we were on a little island called silt s-y-l-t in the north sea the very north part of germany out in the atlantic in fact we were so far north that i had one little bit of extra time during the proceedings and i got on a ferry and i went to the next island up and i was in denmark the island that belonged to denmark so a place I'd never been to before, and not to be speaking of geography or climate, but an interesting island made of sand dunes and heather and thatched roof cottages, and it was pretty special. And the great thing about it was that the people we were, that I was with, were really intent in wanting to do better with their families. So we spent a whole day just talking about relationships and marriages and parenting and the entitlement that attitudes that kids sometimes have these days and I learned a lot too from them you know I'll tell you Linda um, I wish I spoke German you know why why then you would have been able to understand a lot more that went on no no they they all spoke English luckily but I think German is the best language when you want to give a command in oh. fact, we kind of know that from our Swiss daughter-in-law. We have a Swiss daughter-in-law who, she has a wonderful little two-year-old, and and whenever she wants that two-year-old to really pay attention, she speaks to her in German. And of course, the little gal's bilingual because of her mom. But 
I watch some of these German parents with their kids, and man, when they say, when they tell those kids to do something in German, it sounds really powerful. And the kids, one of two things, either German is a more persuasive, powerful language, or German kids are just way more obedient than American kids because they had a lot of obedience going on, let me tell you. That's that's always a good thing, and I do think that makes a difference. I mean, um, they're... Obedience in Germany, a politeness in England. Um, when we lived in England, it was we were amazed at how polite the children were. They were totally into please and thank you so much and may I have this and so on and so on. It's just stuff that you don't often hear from American kids. So see if we could take a hybrid of of you know different kids from around the world. You'd take the politeness from the English kids, the obedience from the German kid. That's starting to sound like a joke. You know that old joke of here's the definition of heaven. If you're in Europe, you've got, see if I can do this, honey, you've got English policemen, you've got French chefs, you've got Italian lovers, you've got Swiss organizers, and you've got German engineers. That's the definition of heaven. The definition of hell is um, English cooks, German policemen, Italian organizers, uh, French engineers, and um, Swiss lovers. <laughs> oh, I, hope I, I hope I didn't offend anyone. Maybe I just, uh, maybe offended, I just everyone. offended everyone. <laughs> That's for sure. But um, anyway, they are wonderful folks. And we, we spent, uh, you know, I was wishing Linda was there a lot of times because I always miss her when I travel alone. But I, one reason I wish you were there, honey, is that I, I learned that, um, you know, like once again, this lesson that we always have reinforced when we travel, and that is that despite whatever linguistic differences there are or economic differences or political differences, when you come to parenting and kids and families, all parents are pretty much the same. We all want the same things for our kids. We certainly all have the same worries about our kids. And it's sort of a uniting factor. It's kind of wonderful. I really, after just 24 hours there, I felt very close to a lot of these German parents. Um, you know, it really is interesting that no matter where we've gone, I mean, there are cultural differences. We, of course, acknowledge that. Um, in China, for example, um, praising children is just not acceptable, which is a little different than in America when we give every child a trophy for everything they do, including almost <laughs> blowing their nose. And um, Blowing their nose. Honestly, Here's your trophy. Right. You're the best nose blower in the whole family. We are so funny about praising our kids, but um, but and we've found differences in um, Indonesia. Uh, we were just there recently, and and they don't have dinner together very often. And at least the parents we were talking to, they just kind of go in and get their own food unless there's a celebration, which is about every other week. They have some kind of celebration, or every week sometimes, so they eat together then. But well, I will say that German German families are very close knit, and their extended families are very close knit. And by and large, again, it's hard to generalize, but they're, they're, I learned a lot from how they get together traditionally on weekends, and 
and uh, share a meal and talk with their grandparents and so on. The grandparents are very important in their families, which is a great thing. You know, I think um, uh, one of the things we did get into, and I haven't told you this yet, honey, but I want to talk a little about it today. Um, I asked this group if they felt that basically they were working harder and had become more proficient at one of two things, parenting or spousing. We often ask that with audiences, and I I was very curious what these German people would say. And once again, just like, just like most audiences, about three-fourths of the hands went up on parenting. They work harder at trying to be a good parent than they do at trying to be a good spouse, and they, they admit it. They're not necessarily sure that that's the right thing to do, but that's pretty much where they are. So we had a long discussion on how integrated, I mean, you know, I was there to speak about parenting more than about marriage, but we had an interesting discussion about how integrated the two things are and how secure children feel when there is a manifestly good relationship between the parents, when they see parents who may have disagreements, but they the kids see the parents make up and and reconcile and come together on things and and the old cliche we talked a little about it there and one of them said it for me in German and honestly it sounded even better the one that says the best thing you can do for your children is to love their mother or their father and uh, it was special on the in that regard but isn't it interesting that for some reason most parents that we speak to seem to be I don't know if it's that they're more worried about their kids than they are about their spouse, but they really put more effort into the parenting than into the marriage, and that's sometimes a mistake, often a mistake. Yeah, I think it really is true. I I have to laugh when I think about when we had our ninth child. I remember specifically saying to you now, we have nine children. I can't have ten children. You have got to take care of yourself. You have got to, you know, start picking up your socks. You have got. To, and, and so, I, you, in I, other words, you were saying, I'm not going to work. I, I'm not going to work at anything. I'm just going to work at parenting. But you can't be one of the ones I'm working on. Well, well, sort of. I mean, I still did love you, and, and you were really good helping with the kids. But um, it really was so overwhelming that I really was more concentrating on getting the kids where they needed to be and getting the education they had to have than I was about making you happy. But then you're always kind of happy anyway. But Well, I'm happy you. when you see me because I'm around you, but when I'm not, then, oh, we're getting a little mushy here. I better be careful. <laughs> In fact, it's nearly time to take a brief break, but we did, we wrote our article for this coming week on... Uh, this week, actually, middle week of the week, it'll come out. We wrote it on marriage synergy, and that's one of the things I spoke a little with these German parents and partners about. And so let's take a brief break, and when we come back, let's talk a little about the word synergy and what it means and how it applies to marriages. We are back. 
Um, we've been talking about Richard's whirlwind trip to Germany. He left on the 3rd and returned on the 6th. That was pretty crazy, honey. But um, he is back, although I was just saying at the first, laughing a little bit because he's only half here. He's so <laughs> jet-like, but he no, did pretty better, well on the first half, I have Yeah, and I'm sitting up now. I'm feeling pretty good. Um, you know, one of the things that was... Um, great about this trip. Usually long, long airplane rides are pretty tough, and I had to do this one in three legs because I went from Salt Lake to Chicago, and then Chicago to Dusseldorf, and then from Dusseldorf I had to go to this island in the North Sea, and so all in all, counting the layovers, each direction was 24 hours, so I had 24 over, 24 there, and 24 back. And you might say, that sounds horrible, but the, the saving grace was that we've got a brand new book out and we're at the editing stage. We're at the point where someone, and it turned out to be me, didn't it, honey, has to go through it one page at a time and sort of approve it before it goes to the printer. And I just can't, you just, that's not something you can just sit down and do. It's so, it's so uh, tedious and so time-consuming, but... On an airplane where you have nothing else to do, it's actually kind of kind of cool because it makes the time go fast. You put your head down, you go to work on it, and before you know it, five hours has gone by, and you're getting closer to your destination. And by the way, I'm not promoting a book just yet. We'll wait to do that till it comes out. But I will tell you, it's a book we're pretty excited about. It's called The Turning. And we'll do some radio shows on it later on. But The Turning's an interesting title because it's taken from the scripture that says that the parents must turn their hearts to their children and the children must turn their hearts to the parents. And then, depending on which scripture you're reading, it, it comes up with some pretty ominous things. Lest the earth be cursed, lest the whole earth be wasted, and so we call it The Turning, and then the subtitle of the book is Why the State of the Family Matters and What the World Can Do About It. It's a little grandiose, I know, but it's our it's our most serious attempt ever, not so much to be a how-to book with a lot of techniques for parenting or for families, but more a why-to book. Why are families disappearing today? And believe me, they really are, and it's worse than most people think. And the first part of the book, I'm, I'm sorry to say, Linda, and you know this, because we, you know, we, we kept saying this together when we were writing it, it's pretty depressing because it points out things that are pretty shocking. For example, in Europe and America, for every couple that moves in together as a married couple, there are five couples that move in as cohabiting couples. And the problem with that is they're far less likely to stay together and to be there for the children they have than if they were married. And it goes on and on. There's just some things happening in this world that when you look at them in the aggregate, families as we know them are not the majority any longer. They're the minority, and it's happening subtly, but it's really, really happening. And so the first part of the book is kind of a wake-up call, and then the second part of the book is what can we do about it? Now, that, that doesn't imply that we need to all quit our jobs and get on some bandwagon and start a movement. It essentially means just the opposite. We've got to keep doing a good job with our own families and be more vocal about 
why families are important, and maybe the only way we save this world is sort of one family at a time. It is a very scary thing. The the more research we did, the more worried we got, because it is just it's astounding. When we live in a family world, family atmosphere, as most of us do in Utah, um, outside of Utah not so much, and then when you get to Europe, not so much. And it really is scary how many people now have decided not to have children at all, not to get married at all, and um, that family really is not a crucial part of their lives. And it's just much more comfortable to be single, and it really is. There are some scary statistics, and of course there are people that would love to have families and can't. And um, there are people who would love to be married and aren't. And so, you know, it depends on the family, but the the percentages and the research we've done are just horrifying. Well, and here, and, you know, I was thinking about this while I was there because the, the, I'm not going to say the worst statistics, but the most extreme and some, in some cases, the most shocking statistics in the world really are in Europe. And, um, for example, did you know that 80% of the first children born in Europe, in other words, the first children born to a couple, 80% of them are born out of wedlock, 80%, 20% are born to a married couple. And so now many of those, many of those couples get married after they have the child. But um, the idea of commitment is becoming very unpopular in a lot of places. And this is not to say these are bad people. This is, this is just to say that what happens is that people get so enamored with their own freedom and and that sort of becomes the governing factor and it's like well I love you and I'd like to live with you and I think I'd like to have a baby with you but let's not make too many commitments because they're hard to get out of and five years from now maybe we won't love each other the way we do now and and let's 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 keep our options open you know and of course the danger of that is that keeping options open if it means the absence of commitment puts kids at risk and it causes us to become people more interested in our own fulfillment and our own sort of options and freedom and uh, and ability to change course in a hurry than it does in the idea of established responsibility and commitment again not to get on my on my hobby horse we'll talk more about the book later but but having said that Linda I want to tell you it's so it's so important that none of us make any judgments because yeah, here I was with this group of people and all you know I, I there's no way I could ever say I love my kids more than they love their kids they're wonderful dedicated parents it takes them a little longer to get there I think that's sort of the bottom line people end up sort of wanting the same things in life but most of the people I was with got married in their 30s and and had you know, a couple of kids, and now they love them, and they're a strong family, and they'd never go back. Some of them express the fact they wish they'd gotten started a little sooner, especially those who are maybe not able to uh, to have a child, and, and they wish they'd started sooner. But by and large, they're good, strong parents. And, and you could argue that they probably are better parents because they're a little more mature than if they had had children in their early 20s. Now, so again, I'm not judging. I'm just saying there's an interesting, uh, different paradigm that exists in Europe. And um, Well, you should talk about the cute girl that uh, was your host there. 
who had been married, no, had been with somebody for 10 years. And uh, still had children. children, yeah. Well, she was a unique one in that she um, they, she and her husband had been together from, from their early 20s. They're now in their early 30s, but hadn't yet decided whether they should actually get married and actually have children. Now, I think they will. I mean, I think hopefully, you know, one of the things we do in some parts of the world, and that we don't like to talk about it much, but we're sort of hoping that some of the members of our audience will say, hey, this doesn't sound too bad. Maybe we should actually get married and actually have a baby. And, you know, we, we, we like that when that happens, don't we? Yeah, it really is. And, uh, and for us, because our children have brought us so much joy, and as we're gathering here with them now more and more and more, and we'll end up with 44 here uh, by Wednesday. We're at Bear Lake, by the way. We're Some Bear of Lake. you listeners may not know. That's where we do our little gathering every summer. And, man, it is it is a logistical gathering. It is a logistical nightmare <laughs> in some ways. But it really is as more and more people come and as we see the personalities of each of the children and the grandchildren and how parents interact with their children and see them all together, I just can't imagine a more joyful experience, although everybody doesn't feel that way, I'm sure. But um, but so many do, and it's just a part of life that I cannot imagine living without. And, of course, everyone has their different lifestyles, and, and sometimes when when things have not gone well with children as they were growing up, if they were divorced, if they were abusive parents or something, then you can see why they're very dubious and why they're very um, reluctant to go forward with marriage and commitment. Yeah, and you know what I've been noticing today, and we're kind of all over the map today on our show, but that's because so many things are happening right now in our lives. But I was watching the... uh, Today, several of our children and their families just arrived, either last night or today. And so today, we haven't started the reunion. It won't start until Wednesday, but some of the early arrivers are here. And watching those little cousins reconnect with each other after not seeing each other in some cases for a whole year, because some of them live in New York, some live in California, and so on. And some of them have seen each other during the year, but some haven't. And here they are, you know, they they were five years old last year, and now they're six, and they're reconnecting as cousins, and it's really a cute thing because they they kind of have that. Uh, we've tried everything we can to foster it and to say, you know, cousins are the next most important thing to your own brothers and sisters. They're more important than friends because you're related to them. You have the same, your, your sister, your mom, your mommies are sisters and so on, and try to really ingrain that into them and i don't know if it's us doing it or if it's just that they like each other but when they get together each year oh claire you've grown so much you're seven now and i'm eight and it's so wonderful to see you it's just really kind of cool now they they also have little fights each year because they're pretty feisty Yeah, but they they do amazingly well, and they are totally different. We had a little baby last year who was just kind of with her parents all the time and not interacting, and now she's the star of the show. A year later, everybody adores Anina, and they are fighting over who gets to take care of her, and she's perfectly happy with being with them. So every year they change so much. You know, the parents, we don't change so much. Yeah, um, but we change in, in negative ways. We're like, oh my goodness, 
look how much weight you've gained. No, we don't say that, do we? We don't no, say things no. like that. No, no, no. Anyway, um, we have just a couple minutes left, but we really have had a crazy week. And, and next week we'll have just, he realized, honey, by a week from today it's going to be over. And uh, not that everybody's going to go home, thank goodness, because the girls pretty much stay as many as they can, and the dads come and go from work and and get done what they can. Luckily, we have three who work for a company that's based in Utah. So the wives stay with us and the kids, and then they go on down and have their meetings and then come back. But my sister lives here, and we're having a reunion with their family, and so it's just reunion, reunion, reunion. But we are... We really are truly blessed. I, we realize how well, lucky and, we are. And one thing we do want to advocate, just uh, sort of the bottom line of what we're saying about reunions, is have a gathering place. It's so it's so wonderful if you, and it might just be a campground in a certain place where you like to go back. There is something about going back to a place that that's sort of where you connect as a family and. Kids really glom onto that. It's like it's like an identity giver to them. And I was thinking about that in Germany, honey. These people on this island is so different from here at Bear Lake. But for them, that's their gathering place, and they they go there, and it becomes traditional to be there during their vacation. And I think kids who grow up in that environment have a kind of a security of going back and returning and seeing the same place each year when they're a little older. And there's something to be said for that because it gives that identity and that feeling of belonging and safety and security. And it doesn't have to be the same place. A lot of people say, you know, well, we can't afford a place to bring everybody. And uh, we have Richard's brother just goes to a different place every year, and the kids really chip in and and help to find the place. Yeah, but I have the ongoing debate with him. I think there's something about returning to the same place. And like I say, it doesn't have to be an expensive place, a campground, a particular place that people like to go on a hike or in a forest or something but it's the returning to the place i think that really connects well all right then we'll just agree to disagree on that one but we hope that you have some wonderful reunions this summer our time is up but we will look forward to talking after this whole thing is over next week on ayers on the road join us again then thanks for listening